0: Hello and welcome to Additive Insight, your source for news, interviews and comment on the latest 3D printing and additive manufacturing intelligence, brought to you by TCT Magazine. I'm your host, Sam Davis, and today I'm bringing you the latest episode of our Innovators on Innovators series. This time, Professor Phil Dickens of the University of Nottingham and Added Scientific sits down to talk spare part to Stephanie Brinfield, a Deutsche bahn and Mobility Girls auditor. Throughout the episode, the pair lean on their experiences to debate the suitability of additive manufacturing for spare parts, covering economics, lead times, designs and specifications. They also discuss what's needed for the AM industry to grow and where else they expect 3D printing to be applied. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more additive insight, head on over to tctmagazine.com, where you can subscribe to the print edition of TCT Magazine and our weekly additive insight newsletter for free.
1: So let me just give you a bit of background about myself first, Stephanie. So I got into, I guess, what was rapid prototyping. In fact, it wasn't even rapid prototyping in 1990. Um, And then quickly we switched to looking at making parts by rapid prototyping, which we then called rapid manufacturing, but that was a bit of the wrong name really and it switched to additive manufacturing and so we set up added scientific about six years ago now and and that mainly does work for other companies in terms of materials and process development but it does some modeling and some consulting and and so on and some training and over the last I guess, three, four years, we've done a few projects looking at spare parts using additive manufacturing. And this was for one particular client who was very, very keen on the concept of of using additive manufacturing spare parts. And, And I guess it came to the last project we did, where I started to become uh, very doubtful about the benefits of using additive manufacturing in their situation. And, and the reason for that was when we looked at their parts, most of them were metal and most of them were quite old parts. And so they'd been made some, some time ago in, in many situations. And most of the metal parts were either castings, or they were machine parts. And so I could understand using additive manufacturing to make the say the sand molds or the patterns for investment casting and so on. Um, but for the parts that were originally machined, almost all of them, it would be much easier to just go and machine them again uh, rather than using additive manufacturing. And they did have um, one issue and that was, they didn't have any CAD models. Um, In fact, most, in fact, almost always, they didn't even know what the material was apart from say steel. So that that was about as, as good as it got. So they had no design information at all and in terms of tolerances or material specification or heat treatment or, or anything like that. So actually the, the 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 biggest job of all was, if you like, reverse engineering in the widest sense. So looking at what the part would be, capturing the geometry is the easy bit working out how to design the new part was was much tougher and so in 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 some respects making the part was the easy bit and and when we looked at most of their parts almost all of them could be machined on cnc machining quite easily um or for the castings, make a pattern or a sand mould and, and then make a casting and machine it. Um, and there was only a few parts that we saw that made sense for additive manufacturing, only a few percent. Um, or if there was a plastic part where you wanted to avoid going into tooling. Um, so that was my um my reason for starting to. Uh, doubt whether additive manufacturing was the right thing to do in in that situation. So I thought it'd be really useful to have this discussion with yourself, who, who's got a lot of experience in this area, um, and try and understand where it does make sense to to make additive manufacturing, and and understand what you've been doing with it. So that that that's if you like the background for, for yeah, thank
2: you thank you phil um so uh, i come from the rail industry originally and um so i'm now in the rail industry for more than 20 years and uh, we started um, with additive manufacturing exactly six years ago and uh, when we started that uh, we were figuring out what can we do with additive manufacturing and uh, i work for deutsche Bahn, which is one of the biggest railway companies in Europe. And it's not a constructive company. It's a, it's a maintainer, it's, a, it's an operator of trains. So what you just described is exactly the basis we had when we started. Um, and we focused immediately on printing spare parts since uh, rapid prototypes are not something we're interested in because uh, we don't design anything, hardly anything. Yeah. So this is why uh, we focused on spare parts. And um, if you take a closer look at the rail industry, you will find out that we have a lot of very new trains, but we also have a lot of very old trains, which means they are even older than I am. And in that case, you can't find any spare parts anymore. So if you want to take a look on spare parts and you need some, um, usually you won't find any suppliers. If you find the former suppliers, they don't have the molds anymore. Do they have printable designs? Nope. Um, So you you always start from the beginning. It's exactly what we described. And often we don't even know what kind of material in detail they used. So this is something we have to find out. Yeah, it's it's very simple. Um, Although the process is it's not always simple, um, but this is was our starting point. And um, in the first uh, parts we printed, those were little hook hangers, and of course they have to ful- uh, fulfill some design aspects. Yeah, you can't just take any; um, so you need the specific one which fits into this specific train. And that was the very start, and very soon afterwards, uh, we also printed the first metal parts. And um, you're absolutely right, coming to the point that printing metal parts, um, it's it's not always an economic case, Yeah, at least not if you compare the former technologies with additive manufacturing. Um, but then you need uh, some further Data and details. Um, and this is the next challenge. Um, yeah, but this is what we do now for more than six years. And in the meantime, we've printed at Deutsche Bahn, where I come from, more than 30,000 parts um, for many, many different use cases throughout the railway company, including infrastructure and also stations. Um, but the the main uh, parts coming from the trains.
1: So, the for, for the for the metal parts. Then, uh, the what wh- what sort of parts are you making?
2: So, of course, we started with a bit simpler uh, polymer parts, but in the meantime, we've printed a lot of metal parts too. But to be honest, it's maybe. Twenty percent of the the overall number is metal, um, but metal is so interesting because um, if you want to prevent a still send of trains, so when it uh, comes to an economic interesting point, then usually we are talking not about polymer parts, we are talking about metal parts. And um, we printed those from different materials. The first parts were aluminum. Um, then we printed um, a part which is called a staircase. Um, I'll explain immediately what it means um, from titanium. Because then we found out that titanium from a printing aspect is cheaper than printing steel yeah? because uh, you, have, you don't need the machine as long as for the steel material. So um, we learned a lot. Um, Meanwhile, we've also printed using wire arc additive manufacturing or DED, direct energy deposition, um, also big um, steel parts, 27 kilogram safety relevant parts for um, a high speed train. And that uh, wire arc additive manufacturing part um, it's uh, it's a very heavy one, as I just described, and that prevents the train from getting too much into the curves. So this definitely is a safety relevant part. And then we tested that part um, from every uh, part you can, every testing method you can think of. So we, of course, done a destroy testing. We put it into a computer tomograph and um, did a lot, so now we know for sure that it absolutely um, is on a comparable basis with um, yeah the previous technology. In that case, it was molded part. I,
1: I can I can understand the the wire art process for some of the big parts because um, as I understand it, the lead time on big billets of, of metal can be extremely long. Okay. um and so you know the for example the you know the guys at Cranfield, uh, have been Wham, have been doing wire arc um to make some some big preforms which are then machined so it, 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 was that the motivation for that then in terms of the lead time of the mate- the raw material if you went if you'd have gone the machining boot um,
2: the the motivation was uh, definitely the lead time aspect because uh, we have a huge procurement organization within the corporate and those colleagues told us we can't get our hands on these parts anymore they screened the worldwide markets already yeah. and since we just know uh, we always need a very very small number of such parts uh, sometimes just um, from lot size one on, um, then they asked us, could you please help us? Because our suppliers told us it will take at least nine months to get the part again. And Mm. nine months for a train, which costs 30 million euros. You can imagine this is a lot of money. And uh, so this was really interesting to us, but of course we, in the meantime, we've also done smaller parts from SLM uh, technology, we um, used a lot, a very broad range of different technologies. And the positive aspect is um, that we have a very broad variety of parts and we don't have to do them ourselves. So uh, if you should ask me, how many machines do you have? Um, Hardly any, so (laughs) we do this with printing service bureaus and so we can focus Absolutely on the use case, um, which is really uh, relaxing. Yeah, You don't have to take care of the machines and we all know, uh, and you're definitely uh, an expert of this technology. You're one of the very uh, prominent dinosaurs um, um, that um, usually if you want to, to put a machine uh, into your maintenance sites, you will need at least one year to have it running the way you want it to. So this is also one of the points why we decided right from the beginning, we don't want to focus on the machines, we want to focus on the use cases. And um, since we wanted to do this, uh, we also needed a whole network of um, AM suppliers. And this is why we founded MGA, which stands for mobility goes additive, that's a network and um, i also have the great pleasure to be the managing director of the network and there we try to bring in all the experience from different users machining producers material providers software companies and brilliant um um yeah institutes from techno uh, from from universities to put together our knowledge and to enhance the number of printable parts
1: right who, who does the you know, we, we mentioned earlier on about the design and, and, um, and the specification. Um, so when you've got an old part, um, who, who then does all that design work to say this is what the specification of, of, of what you're going to make should be?
2: Of course, it always depends a bit on the part, but uh, usually we have to re-engineer that part. So um, we have an engineering um, company within the corporate, but we usually also rely to a very um, high number um, on independent engineering bureaus. And they always um, help us to find the design. And uh, what I really um, appreciate is that you now have so many young software companies who do this uh, design for additive and also re-engineering for additive. Um, Sometimes they use own sources, sometimes they give it to Indian sources, but um, you have a lot of helping hands in the whole supply chain um, who help you um, to to fulfill um, these ideas and to materialize those parts you want to print.
1: With, with the client we had it, it looked to me like we didn't we didn't measure this, but it looked like the the amount of money spent in all that re-engineering would be much more than than making the part. Is, is that true, do you think or, or not?
2: Yeah, at the moment it's it's from my perspective it's absolutely right. Um, I must admit at that point I'm not an engineer um so i'm a trained economist so i have a lot of um fantasy to think of uh, future developments and <laughs> absolutely convinced that uh, we now have to start and meanwhile we will find ways also bringing in artificial intelligence into the am supply chain that uh, in the future we will easily be capable of re-engineering parts so Um, I believe in the Star Trek logic, you have a little machine like a microwave, you put your part in (laughs) it scanned, and the next machine right next door, you can uh, print it out. And um, this, of course, will take another 10 years. But uh, this will definitely be the future. And we now have to start, and we now have to get our... Uh, hands on the technologies and as the users, we really have to address what our needs are. This Mm -hmm. is something we discovered. So there are so many brilliant companies out there um, who are really experts in additive manufacturing, but sometimes they don't really know what the users uh, want to fulfill, which materials they need, what kind of designs they have in mind. So um, it's very important to bridge the gap between those two um yeah ends of the supply chain.
1: So so when when you're looking at these metal parts then, um so for example, the, the aluminium parts you mentioned before, who who decides whether to go down the additive manufacturing route or the machining route or the casting route or whatever? Who 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 makes that decision?
2: Um, usually our procurement colleagues have already tried to find out whether there are any alternatives. Mm-hmm. So um, then um, our colleagues from the maintenance sites come to us. Of course, sometimes we decide it's, it's not really from an economic point of view, it's not really worth printing this part because um, additive is not cheap. It's not a very cheap uh, technology. So sometimes it makes sense to use other technologies But then uh, we also have a great network for those other technologies um, to um, address them for small quantities of parts and to help out. But um, yeah, who decides that, that was your question. It's my team and I.
3: Today's episode is sponsored by 3D Systems. Here, Sam Green, 3D Systems Professional Printer Category Manager, discusses advancements in polymer materials to increase AM repeatability, productivity, and part performance know that 3D printing has been moving for some time now from a predominantly prototyping tool to a manufacturing tool. And the real end game really is for 3D printing not to replace traditional manufacturing, but to support that adding breadth and depth and agility and complexities to where it's uh, really required. SLS is a great contender for producing uh, plastic, true plastic parts, thermoplastics in PA12, nylons. However, the drawback of many thermoplastic technologies has been the process by which these individual layers of the parts are melded together. So large thermal discrepancies can occur typically across either a single part where you display different mechanical properties at one end of the part and different mechanical properties at the other end. And the same is true if you have a batch of parts. But what we've really done, we've created the new SLS380 3D printer, and this is designed to deliver consistent and repeatable parts. So we've installed eight individually controlled heaters and then we've installed a high resolution IR camera that's able to take 100,000 thermal data samples from within the build chamber every second. So the system's algorithm is able to quickly identify any areas where there's high thermal gradient uh, or very low thermal gradient, and then it immediately adjusts the duty cycle of the relevant heater to remove that thermal discrepancy and ensure a more consistent sintering process. And ultimately, this uh, temperature stability creates significantly higher part yields. ultimately a more efficient process and even lower part
0: costs. You guys have talked a lot
3: about advancing the science and one of those areas is photopolymer resins. Can you just elaborate on how you're leveraging that to deliver production grade part performance there? We've been able to develop a series of novel patented chemistries and these have really opened the door to the first true production ready uh, photopolymers for additive manufacturing. So we started this process for the figure 4 3D printer with our tough black 20 material. This along with other production grade materials that we've released since then. All these materials are tested to demonstrate that they can retain most of their mechanical properties, typically up to eight years indoor and two years outdoor. 30 years ago, 3D Systems invented the SLA 3D printing uh, technology, uh, which uses a vector laser to scan and cure resins in a vat. In contrast to that, the figure four, it still uses a vat, of course, but it replaces that laser with a projector based imaging system that cures a whole layer at a time rather than point by point so the great advantage of this is of course uh, speed figure four is unique in that it is a non-contact membrane technology which means the part does not come into contact with a transparent layer at the bottom of the print tray. So the end game has always been to port over the revolutionary material advances we've made from the projector-based figure 4 to our SLA range, such as the Pro-X800. Back in July, we launched the first of these materials. It's called the Acura AMX Rigid Black, a uh, high-strength, production-grade SLA material with really good environmentally stabilised properties that can withstand years of indoor, outdoor UV and humidity exposure it's ideal for large one-to-one scale automotive consumer durable mounts frames jigs fixtures or internal frames in things like such as uh, white goods but taken together we now have a very powerful solution mix when it comes to resins if you need small batch quantities of tens to hundreds of thousands of production grade plastic parts the figure four is an excellent solution and now if you need large one-to-one scale, large production parts. We now have our SLA platform with the first in our range of accurate AMX materials. To learn more about long-term resin performance and industrial scale SLS workflow solutions, visit
0: mytct.co forward slash 3d systems pod or mytct.co forward slash pod SLS.
1: Just just going back to the, the design aspect then, so do you have any um CAD models for for any of these parts or is it completely nope. unavailable?
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's, Usually, it's absolutely unavailable, and yeah. sometimes we even talk about parts um you know if if you're in such a great uh corporate um yeah, so my corporate has more than three hundred thousand employees is active in hundreds of countries and so on so um um usually you don't have those um facts and figures you would like to rely on and that was also our problem right from the beginning because when we started with additive manufacturing we did this in a strategic top down approach we wanted to shake our sap systems and wanted to do an analysis what kind of parts are printable but the problem is that we didn't have that data which can be used to do this decision. So we turned it upside down. We did a bottom-up approach, and then we started a roadshow through our maintenance sites and talked to our colleagues. And this is uh, really interesting because this is very similar in many, many different sectors, then starts a huge change management project. Additive manufacturing in a company or a corporate is not a technology project. It's a change management project. And the first thing you have to do is that you have to convince your colleagues that it's a technology you can rely on. And that was really helpful when we printed our first metal parts. Then people really touched it. It's it's such a haptic technology. That's one of the big advantages. And they said, oh, wow, if we can do a terminal box in aluminum, if we can do a sensor, um, made from titanium then we can do nearly anything yeah. and um, so um, this is what really helped in convincing our colleagues and helping to push the boundaries mm-hmm. but as you just mentioned uh, your your customer um, did they experience something similar
1: um I, they, they haven't got anywhere near as far as, as as you've got. Um, so it's, it's still mostly at the talking stage, um, and very little at the acting stage. Um, (laughs) they are, they are completely sold on the concept. Um, so, um, I'm, I'm sure my doubts had no effect on them whatsoever <laughs> but but they haven't really done very much yet so um, so I think it's um it'd be interesting to see where they go with it or or whether they go with it
2: uh, yeah it, i think it will be interesting because I talked to so many companies in the meantime, also due to my uh, MGA network position, um, and it's always up to people. So it's a people's business. Yeah, mm. You would assume that this technology and digitization aspect and so on, it's, it's a, just an automation question. No, it's not. It's a people's mm. question. And what we experienced also within the network, you always need some people really um, motivated to integrate that technology in the company. And sometimes, when they change the company, when they jump into another job, uh, um, then um, you always have the danger that uh, the company uh, they worked for previously uh, could fall back into a sleep concerning additive manufacturing. So, what I want to say is, you always need a lot of people who are really um, enthusiastic about the technology, and then. It's an ongoing project. So yeah. also within my corporate, um, we always say if we have one or two guys in the maintenance site, they keep the business running, yeah. But uh, you always need those people and you need to find them. And this is not a matter of hierarchy. Yeah, it's not a matter of hierarchy. And this is um, really interesting because uh, that brings in such a democratic aspect of the whole technology. Yeah. No matter uh, the stage of uh, hierarchy, but you need people who really know what they do and who love the technology.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think the, the 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 best people um, are those that have got a reasonably broad experience in design and manufacturing, and and can understand really where to use it and where where it makes sense to use in terms of speed or cost. And the, I think one of the problems I've seen, and, and maybe I, I'm to blame for some of this is, is a lot of recent graduates have been exposed to additive manufacturing, and they seem to think it's a solution to everything and because they don't have the broad knowledge of other manufacturing processes. And, and I've, I've, I've seen this when, you know, because I've been in a number of universities, worked in a number of universities. And so if they're doing, a say, a final year project and they have to make something, generally it's easier for them to make it by an additive manufacturing process, than it is by say going down onto a milling machine and making it, because they don't need the milling machine skill; they can just put yeah. the CAD model in <laughs> and make <laughs> it. Isn't that great? Yeah, it, it is. But sometimes they end up making things which economically you you would never do in a company because it, it's just so simple. You, know, you make something that sort of looks quite similar to a rectangular block uh, with a hole in it, um, <laughs> and and so I think what you what what we really need is lots of people with um, many years of experience in in design and manufacturing who then get really infused on this as an alternative process, and they yeah. They, yeah. they can Sorry. then see where it fits.
2: And you need cheaper machines. As soon as everyone in any um, um, production site would think like the people you just described, then the price of those machines would come down drastically and then it would be worth doing it. So I always have the discussions with my um, engineers and they always tell me, yeah, additive manufacturing is something for the niche. Uh, and I would oppose, I would say by now it's it's more a niche thing, but in future, just think 20 years ahead. Mm. I would say it will be a mass production uh, technology. And um, if you have more people for, and for them, obviously it's easier to design this, um, to design the CAD file, go to the printer and print it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so uh, what you can also see um, over the last years is those machines are getting less complex, they're getting less expensive. Um, of course this um, development has to carry on. but uh, 20 years ahead, I would say maybe that's the next uh, production technology ever. Yeah. And what I really what, what really struck me was uh, a couple of years ago, Um, A study was published by the Dutch ING Bank. And they said that by the year 2040, 50% of all things worldwide will be printable. Of course, we can discuss whether it will be 2040 or 2050. But um, the, the story behind is so interesting. And if you see just about the recent developments in the last five years, now you can print concrete you can print ceramics metals polymers elastomers even food um bioprinting and so on and so on so this is constantly growing and um i i would really love to do uh, this uh, talk again maybe <laughs> in 15 years <laughs> then let's have a look uh, what it turned out like to be but yeah. um this is something every day which really motivates me a lot. So you always find new technologies. And in the additive manufacturing scene, everyone is really waiting for Big Bang, like an explosion. Yeah, There's no Big Bang. It's like every day is a little bing, 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 bing. But the summing up, bings will be the Big Bang. But yeah, um, yeah. Th- we have to I, meet again.
1: <laughs> I think, well, I've... I've come to realize is that it takes a lot longer for things to happen than you expect and so I think I I did my first presentation on using what was then rapid prototyping to make real parts in in 1996 the uh, is actually in Darmstadt at the European stereolithography user group and in the, in the following few years, we made some predictions about how things were going to change and how additive manufacturing was going to take over and and the cost of machines would come down and so on. And it's taken a long, long time for movement to, to go in that direction much, much longer than I expected. You know, I, I I thought we would be much further on than we are by now. Um so it's it's really interesting. I maybe I was just too optimistic.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, but I think it's it's great to be optimistic because if you always have those people who stick to the um the latest trends and just what is possible now, you will not have the creativity to think beyond. Yeah. And this is um why we need many many more people who are really optimistic and maybe a bit crazy and maybe a bit too optimistic uh, but that will push the whole industry
1: yeah the the example i use is actually comparing how long it took for cnc machining to become a really good process um, because i think it was invented in, uh, in 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 dayton in around about 1951 And and it wasn't really till the mid 90s that it became a really good process, CNC machining with um, much better programming, uh, higher spindle speeds and and so on. And, And so, you know, over 40 years for it to become a really good process. And we're now at about the same stage with additive manufacturing when you think of it being invented in say mostly in the mid 80s um and we're now about 40 years again so i think it probably is going to happen very soon now um but it still needs lots of good people working it and that that's been um one of the things i've noticed in in additive manufacturing the number of great people, enthusiasts, who have really driven it, uh, is amazing.
2: And what would you say, what should we uh, do to help the whole additive manufacturing industry to grow exactly um, and uh, to follow the path um, of the other technologies? So what do you think would be helpful?
1: I, I think there's still a massive educational job that's required. Um, I, I think in, in the universities and the colleges, we're doing okay. Um, most universities and, and colleges are, um, are working with additive manufacturing in, in some way. What, what we I've seen here, certainly in the UK, is you've got lots and lots of people already in work, but don't update their knowledge. And therefore, they don't have the experience of additive manufacturing. And so it's a it's a massive effort that's needed to go out into companies to educate people and bring them up to date. And and I think if there's one thing we could do, that would be the main thing. Everything else would follow from that.
2: Yeah, that's really an interesting aspect. So um what I would suggest is, uh, I've already mentioned that I studied economics quite a while ago. I think the big advantage of additive manufacturing is to also catch people from different disciplines. So would someone who studies economics be interested in milling or machining? No, yeah, it's nothing, which yes. is really sexy and interesting. Is additive manufacturing Um, able to catch people and their creativity definitely yes no matter where they come from I know so many people coming from very very different disciplines who are really dedicated to additive manufacturing and maybe we should think more about how can we use that yeah how Mm -hmm. can we get more people into the technology they don't have to become um, designers, yeah? But uh, to push boundaries of the technology, maybe it would also be very helpful. And um, as a European, I come from Berlin, as a European, I always um, um, find it very interesting to take a look at other markets, so other countries, other continents. And um, many, many technologies were invented in Europe. Uh, Mm -hmm. of the additive manufacturing so many machines are uh, designed and invented um, here Um, who is much better uh, to promote that and to do the marketing those are the americans Mm -hmm. who are the people who are really really fast and thinking forward and what we can use it for those are the chinese maybe we also have to look across borders um also meant country-wise to learn a bit more how can we explore more uh, use cases and Mm -hmm. yeah being a German I may say that so the Germans uh, don't like risks at all so um, until they buy a machine it will take months maybe also years yeah so the Americans are much faster in those decisions and to bring in the good of different um, cultures, that would also be quite helpful. And this is also something I think there's a big advantage in the upcoming years because people don't stick so much to their countries anymore. So they travel around, they work um, um, in other countries, and they take the best of any culture. Yeah. I assume that will also be helpful.
1: Yeah. I think, I think the, you know the the conferences and exhibitions do a great job and 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 have a major role in this you know like form next or amog or or sme or wh- whatever it is rapid um so that they, they are doing a very good job in bringing people together from from different cultures and um and different backgrounds um but i think you know we 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 pushed for a big effort in the UK in, in terms of knowledge transfer, um, but unfortunately, the government didn't pick it up at that time. They were preoccupied preoccupied by by other things like Brexit. Um, so, yeah, you know, I think, you know, I, I think it, the one thing I would go for is is, is more knowledge transfer. Um, And that could be, as you say, to all sorts of people, Whether because there's lots of economics in additive manufacturing. Um, There's lots of medical uses, uh, dentistry, all all sorts of areas, and art and so on. So it it can be used by lots of different people.
2: Oh, definitely. And um, so, of course, it will be very helpful if we get some public funding to explore use cases, uh, develop materials and also machines. But we can't wait, we can't wait for anyone. So we have to push this ourselves. And the great thing is that you have so many brilliant people working in and with the technology um, and um, they can really do so many things. This is what we experience in our working group. So. Mobility goes additive, the network is not only representative of the mobility sector anymore. So we also do aero and space and aviation and automotive, but also um, MGA stands for medical goes additive. And Phil, I totally agree. There are so many um, ways to explore and um, to think into a patient individual designed um, logic Um, this will be so helpful for the whole medical sector at the moment we are a bit busy um, to understand what the new medical device regulation will mean to additive manufacturing but as soon as we've done that and this is something uh, we help um, companies within the network um, then we can explore um, many more ways in the Uh, printing of implants, orthosis, prosthesis, but also in the bioprinting sector. Mm -hmm. So the first heart was already printed. Skin is printed. Um, Organs um, are printed right now. Can they be transplanted? No, not at the moment. In future, definitely yes. Yeah, and um, so of course this will take maybe a bit longer than we both hope it will take, (laughs) but it will be in the future. And this is something which is so encouraging. And can you think of any other technology which um, really uh, drives um, developments as much as additive manufacturing? I -hmm. can't.
1: No, no. I I think, to be honest, I think the, the, the medical area will be by far the biggest application area for additive manufacturing in the future. Um, much bigger than than all the industrial areas uh, I, I i see the potential is just phenomenal there some, yeah you know, some and of, maybe some of the work that yeah. different people are doing is amazing
2: and i would like to add something i don't think that we just have to stick to medical applications think about the construction um sector yeah think about building of houses so you can in the future do this in a very cheap way with totally different designs and in a very sustainable way because you need less material um so this is just at the very beginning i always say that (laughs) printing of concrete is as far as um spare parts printing five years ago so but i would say they have a brilliant future they can do lightweight designs, and if you um, analyze the construction um, sector, they have a huge problem with getting enough workforce. And um, so, additive manufacturing can also help in solving those challenges too. And. Um, as soon as you have a new sector, which is discovering additive manufacturing, yeah, there's always a bright future. And especially in the construction sector, I would say this is definitely also the future is AM.